to Fucked Up by Faith. My name's Jude Mills. In this podcast, we have conversations with people who've been fucked up by their faith, and we explore how they found hope, healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness in or out of their faith tradition. <laughs> My guest today is Mark Townsend. Mark is an independent priest, a celebrant, a magician and author of several books, including The Gospel of Falling Down, The Beauty of Failure in an Age of Success. Welcome, Mark. It's really good to see you today. Thank you, Jude. It's lovely to be here. It really is. Yeah, I look forward to this very much. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited about this conversation because I think Mark and I probably have quite a lot in common, um, which will shall be revealed in the conversation, I would imagine. But as always, I'm going to start, well, I usually start with a poem. Today, I'm a bit excited because I got a new oracle deck and it's called the Wild Offering Oracle, a 52 card deck on giving it all to God. Lovely. Yeah. So I'm just going to choose, I've shuffled them earlier and so I'm going to choose one mm. at random. Great. And, then, and see where we go. All right. Ah, right. Make it God's. Make it God's. Release the idea of my. As soon as you start to say their money, their relationship, their job, freedom arrives. When there is no grasping, the right actions get shown. Free me from the prison of my dear Lord. Free me from the prison of my my is in quotes so make it gods hmm. wonderful <laughs> something i work on every single day attempt to when i get too bogged down in the idea that that is me doing everything mm, mm, yeah mm. <laughs> <laughs> so That's... mark yeah how were you fucked up by your faith mm. well like a lot of people, I, I probably fucked up my own life as much as the faith fucked me up um, of various faiths. But I'll try and talk a little bit about around that and see where we go. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I came to, uh, to faith through a Pentecostal church um, when I was about 16. Very powerful experience, um, which in itself was a was a blessing and also a curse I mean it, it was a blessing because it was a, a beautiful powerful experience of something but it was also a curse because I had to almost immediately not because I was told to but because I sort of picked it up I had to stop certain things I was a I was a keen magician back then um, as in Paul Daniel style I was very interested in the unexplained and psychic stuff I was also very open-minded very sort of even at that, even in that era, pro-gay, you know, had no no issues about putting people in boxes. But of course, a couple of years in in fundamentalist Christianity, and you start to feel um, molded in a way that you perhaps didn't originally intend. Um, plus, I'm a natural questioner, and it's not a place for a natural questioner. I, I I love that church. I still have fond memories, but I needed to get out. And one of the things that I did was. Um, because I was finding it ever so hard to, to be myself and to, and to sort of work out where I was going. Uh, even though I was, I was actually at the same time, probably on the way to becoming a pastor. 
of the, of the church. Um, yeah. But as a young guy, I needed to get away. So I went to Israel and I went for four months and I thought I needed to go there just because it's the sort of place where it all began. Yeah. And, uh, and I was bowled over, not by the wonderful places, like the, the natural places like Galilee and what have you, which are beautiful and powerful. But I was actually surprisingly um, woken up by all of the mystical sites and the sort of mm. ancient Orthodox Catholic traditions and particularly the Church of the Nativity which to me as a Pentecostal was almost idolatrous, you know, people yes. coming in and ki kissing a spot on the floor where Jesus was born. But it was beautiful and it kind of, um, it gave me something that I hadn't experienced before. So long and the short of that, I came back to England and I had to leave the church. Um, and I joined at that stage a, a low church evangelical. Um, where I got into that because some of the Pentecostals had friends there because it was the sort of closest thing to a traditional church that was also quite evangelical yeah. and very very quickly I, all my sort of liberal um natural liberal side started to feel free and also my mystical um which i picked up in israel so i started to kind of become what they would call a liberal catholic christian you know and i started to, as they say climb the candle and i i got into <laughs> i got in got into um you know the anglo-catholic tradition in a liberal way not in a because it can be quite a misogynistic tradition at its mm -hmm. worst um so then my calling also seemed to come with me and i went to um i, I got on the road to becoming ordained um and um after a lot of heavy training and selection and all sorts of other things i ended up at um theological college Got myself ordained at this stage as well i was also married um had two beautiful children who are absolutely everything to me and i'm telling telling you this because this is all part of the fuck up really yeah um but it wasn't a happy marriage so by the time that i was ordained um it had degenerated into, into something quite negative and and i think there's no I'm not blaming because it's just as much me as my ex-wife. We just weren't compatible. Um, mm. Also, I, I, I had a wonderful curacy, very supported, very, um, I, even my magic was being used again, you know, to, to sort of school assemblies and, and even sermons and things. So, um, But then I moved to a second post and that was very difficult. Um, I felt pretty much out of my depth because it was, I mean, I'm in the I'm in the very town now. I still live there, <laughs> but um, but I was sort of torn because it was such a big church with lots of different factions within it, and I I felt torn by it and pulled and stretched in in places I you know in a way that was very uncomfortable, and I didn't have the sort of support back at home that perhaps I would have wanted, yeah. and um and eventually the the marriage fell apart, and then I did the most stupid thing, and this is the fuck up um i let my heart out to someone in the congregation who was mm. probably going through a similar thing and stupidly i got into a relationship yeah. um now that happens and i regret it um but it's part of my story and and part of who i am and we learn through our mistakes and you know i i probably well, i made a big mistake i you know i hurt somebody um because these sort of things can't last anyway after a few years and that was all over and put to bed i was then about to um go to another church i'd, I'd had a, 
a post which was a different part of the diocese and I thought to myself I cannot go through this um, ritual of being given a new parish and have the bishop lay his hands on my head and blah 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 without me telling him my entire story um, I talked to some of my clergy friends some of them said don't be so fucking stupid um, others in fact my Catholic friends were my Catholic priest friends were were the most sort of um yeah, of course you can, because you know, they believe in confession, you know, they, they actually do get a second chance. So, but I, but my Anglican friends were, don't be so stupid, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that, it's all in the past now. It's, um, but I did, I, I knew that I needed to be totally honest with my bishop. And so I sat down with him and I told him the whole story. And um, three days later, he told me to resign. Now, that's fine because that's the position I put him in and I have no grudges there whatsoever. Um, I, my, my fuck up was myself and that was part of the sort of the, um, the risk of being honest. I've written about this and it ties in actually with what you read out earlier from that wonderful Oracle, you know, mm. it's sort of, you know, tr trusting in, in, in what is and kind of being authentic and, and not sort of my, my, my truth. Um, letting god be god so i just trusted the system i trusted the the whole process of confession and blah 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 and i had to resign for three years so i was given a three-year kind of um go and do what you need to do and over the course of that three years and this is where fuck-ups become magic mm. um because over the course of those three years i discovered I mean, in the first instance, I was totally set free to be myself in a way yeah. that I hadn't been for a long time. And am I waffling, by the way? Absolutely I, no, not. No. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried. I, <laughs> so, um, so I'm just scribbling a couple of little notes that I might yeah, sure. come back to. That's all. So, so going back to that early stuff I said about sort of psychic stuff and magical stuff that I wasn't allowed to do as a Pentecostal, that was still under the surface, and I still hadn't. So, so kind of you know. Um, all these questions about paganism and magic and uh, even I hadn't been able to explore that as an Anglican priest so so that was one thing that immediately I, I could get stuck into and I, I contacted Philip Cargon from the um, Order of Bards over Obits and Druids and I, I got to know him very well and and got involved in, in that wonderful community of um, of Obod dru Druids. Mm -hmm. um, I also uh, started writing about um, Jesus from a pagan perspective. Mm -hmm. I got to know all sorts of people within the sort of Wiccan world. And and even though I, I wouldn't see myself as pagan, I have a huge pagan side to me. I'm still Christian, but I have a very deep pagan connection and, and to the land and, and to the spiritual energy of everything oracle cards blah 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 it all makes perfect sense to me so that was one thing that happened during those three years another was that i was able to um very quickly find a way of becoming a celebrant and being able to marry people of the same sex which you can't mm. do as an anglican priest yeah. or you couldn't then so i had at the end of still the can't. three years <laughs> sorry still can't <laughs> no exactly no right so so at the end of these three years I was a completely different person and, and when I finally went back to see the bishop and I had my my license given back this is after I'd been put on a heresy test by the way but more about that later um <laughs> okay but uh, as I, so when I finally got my um license to officiate back I I took one look at it 
And I thought, thank you very much, but no thanks. And I mm -hmm. sent it back with a very polite note saying, I don't think I need, I love the C of E, I always will, but I don't think I need the C of E anymore to be myself. Um, so I'm still in that place. And that in a probably long-winded mm. <laughs> um, is, um, sorry, I thought I was going to cough then. Um, that's my fuck up in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty, pretty much me as in, doing making the mess but also realizing that the church in itself um maybe doesn't help people as much as it ought to in terms of um loving them through their fuck-ups you know don't close the doors on people um this this is this is why interesting I, I the first book that i ever wrote called the gospel falling down which you mentioned it happened um, around the same time as this, though I hadn't at that stage gone to see the bishop, but it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I think this dangerous thing about karma and about writing. You, you know, if, if you really want to be put on the spot, then write about something that scares the shit out of you. <laughs> and so I wrote, I wrote a book about being authentic, and I had to bloody well do it and and act it out. And that's 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 why I am the person I am. I, I have to be totally transparent i cannot not be um that might sound arrogant because nobody can completely be but um i had to take my own words literally and um and therefore the self-fulfilling prophecy was that i ended up because the subtitle of that book is the is the beauty of failure in an age yeah. of success mm -hmm. and i made myself the ultimate failure and yet it has become beautiful because i'm still in this wonderful messy world of faith and having the privilege of um of being able to go out there and, and do things ministerially for people who are also in a mess yeah so that i'll shut up now for a bit <laughs> <laughs> i've scribbled down so many little bits that you've said that i want to come back to um mm. including in capital letters with with a big question mark heresy test <laughs> But I think, you know, as a minister, if you're not accused of heresy at some point, you're doing, you're doing it wrong. Doing it wrong, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I call myself an uneasy Anglican. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> For all the reasons. And there's something about, which I talk about a lot, particularly to, the, to those people I speak to who are in ministry, about mm. ministers, priests being held to some strange higher standards than ordinary people as if we're not ordinary people yeah yeah and mm. and how much can we authentically minister to people if we're hiding a huge chunk of ourselves yeah. from them yeah abs yeah absolutely so, yeah um so i think that will resonate with a huge mm. number of people those in ministry and those not Mm. Um, but yeah. so this you hear the word authentic is bandied aloud around a lot these days mm. isn't it everybody's expected mm. to be authentic and sort mm. of performatively authentic you know on, on social mm. media mm. which suggests that it's not really mm. it's um, the reverse of authentic yes exactly <laughs> exactly but but we're all subject to it so mm. how do, i mean this is this is a huge question mm. it's clearly really important to you isn't it this this 
maintaining authenticity to you know to release the mask that you were required yeah. to wear yeah as a church priest mm. what does it mean um it means being honest with yourself it means being able to live with yourself and um and it means risking losing everything for that really um mm. the, the the bigger the bigger part of that story is that um uh, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very happily married now. Um, Sally is my wife and, you know, we, we've been together 12 years and we are absolutely like, you know, two peas in a pod. Mm. The, the story I'm talking about is 20 years old. Um, I've actually been married three times. Doesn't that sound like a fuck up? <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so the position when I was told to resign, um, it was also two days before my second wedding. Oh, gosh, um, so, yeah. so, I, so I had to go away on a honeymoon, um, knowing that I was going to come back to the loss of my house, my job, um, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just massive, the, the, the amount of shit that was, that was going on there. Um, it's like, and um, so, and, the, and really my, when I say lose everything for, for the sake of authenticity, I only ever wanted to be a priest. When I was in the um, Pentecostal church, I knew that I was called to something. I thought it was being a pastor. But when I got, when I came into the Church of England, I felt like I'd come home. Um, yeah. I, I had, uh, it was just like, it really, and it's still, to be honest, it still is. It's it's the, to me, the, the beauty of Anglicanism, and I'm not one anymore, but the beauty of it is that it's broad enough, or it should be broad enough for everybody. It should allow you to float in and out of faith, float up and down the candle, float in and out of everything, you know, be, and still be held by the community. So I love it. Um, and I lost it, you know, I, that was all I wanted to be, and still is, but I lost it. And mm. because, because I'd made an arse of myself, and then I'd made a even bigger, <laughs> you know, mess by going and telling the person who had my life in his hands. But but I'm so glad that I did, because it is so much more liberating. And I, I mean, I couldn't, I, I can't live with that sort of in that fake persona. Um, I'm looking at a book now on my, over there by Nadia Boltzweber, yeah. um, who she talks a lot about this. And one of the things that um, I heard her say once was she was um, she feels like a disappointment to some people in the church. Oh, you know, you're, you're you know you're someone we should emulate and admire. And 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 she's you know what what are you talking about? The only thing that I want you to emulate is my ability to receive grace. Mm. You know, that's what I want to show you how to do. Not to yep. be prissy and perfect and religious and righteous and all that bullshit. You know, I just want to be able to. To, to receive grace for myself and therefore enable others to. Mm -hmm. That's, I'll never be a Nadia Volkswagen, but that's that's my kind of model. Um, those are the sort of voices that speak to me. Richard Rohr is, is my ultimate um, mentor and has been for you know, 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, and his his kind of philosophy is, is a very similar one. You know, um, to be perfect is to be able to be imperfect and to value that you know yeah. the beauty of him so it's yeah it's funny i used to say in theological college um preachers have one 
one sermon that they sort of come to in a thousand different ways and my sermon is grace you know my sermon is the fact that I am a fuck up and that's okay <laughs> you know that's that's where I'm coming from mm. <laughs> wouldn't it be wonderful if preachers were able to get into the pulpit if they even get into the pulpit these days and and that actually say those words mm. I'm a fuck up mm. and you are too and God mm. loves you <laughs> mm. yeah they probably wouldn't have a congregation by the end of the sermon <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know well they know. would they, 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 maybe they know. would yeah yeah maybe they would I, I... or maybe it would be yeah I don't know yeah I would stay. I would stay and listen to that sermon, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a similar, um, that's a similar point, actually, that you know, I've been talking with another wonderful um, independent priest. We're, we're, we've talked about this too, through, through um, Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. We're, we're going to write a book between us on being train wrecks for Jesus, which yes. we might call fuck ups for Jesus. And the big question is, if we put that on the cover, are people going to read it? And it's a similar, if you said that in a pulpit, are people going to walk out? So, they, But then are they ever going to be open to that if they're going to walk out anyway? So, I, you know, I don't know. Well, it's, it's... Yes. <laughs> for me, I mean, I grew up in, near Glasgow. So for mm. me to not swear is wholly inauthentic, right? So if we're mm. talking about... Mm authenticity yeah, yeah. and it, you know it isn't that i would necessarily stand up in church mm. and do it and do an f-bomb you know <laughs> mm. um mm. but people do know that about me you know because if they yeah. go for a coffee with me afterwards they're going to hear it yeah. at some point yeah yeah um there's there's a there's something that i would certainly be drawn to a book about faith about christianity yeah that spoke to me in that way i would think ah this person has mm. something to say to me in the same way that people like nadia boltz weber do because mm. she you know she doesn't hold back from swearing or no. being a, her full fully authentic self you know mm. Mm. um and yeah you know with probably with lots of accusations of heresy along the way mm. well one of the things that I remember just came into my head then about when I was a vicar in this town and I there was a funeral that um, I've always found funerals to be the hardest part of the job, but the most important, really, um, for me. Yeah. Um, and there was a young lad who died and he took his own life. Um, mm. Adam, his name was Adam, and he, he took his own life by means of uh, putting um, the exhaust into his car and it was horrific. And his parents, who I, I still, I still see his mum around. Um, they wanted me to do this service, and they wanted it to be really authentic. And they wanted it to be his service. So I, they, they said, would you mind dressing the way he did? Because they, they knew I would, because I kind of dress like that around town. But it, but in church it was different, because obviously you're supposed to. So I, I came out with scruffy jeans and, you know. And the choir were horrified, or some of the <laughs> choir were. Hor Are you really going to do this? And it's and that's the sort of contrast between the sort of you know what the respectability, and then the reality. And I and I want to be there 
for the reality of it. I want to be able to do something that is not going to in any way take away that family's pain, but honour their child. Another one, there's a poor lad who died of a, he came out of prison, was offered heroin on the way mm. back. And mm. by the, a couple of days later, he was dead. I did his funeral and they asked me would I read his poem. And it was a beautiful poem, but it was to his addiction and it was full of the F-bomb. And I read it in the church. And again, some of the people who were um, part, more part of the establishment were horrified by that, but it was honoring him. And it was his poem to, it was like a love affair, you know, this this dangerous love that I have for this, this thing that he called his, um, I forget now the terminology, but it was, it was like almost like an Eminem rap. Yes. But I, I want to do things like that. Um, that's the only reason why I wanted to be a priest, really, to take people seriously, to honour people, whatever their, um, their life is like, and to articulate that. And I still do that now as a celebrant. You know, I've done two services, funerals dressed as Father Christmas, because that's what the family <laughs> wanted. One, one guy, lovely chap, he, he thought he was Father Christmas. He, um, he dressed like Father Christmas, he, he looked like Father Christmas, even on holiday, he would, even in the summer holidays, apparently kids would come up on the sandy beaches and say, are you Santa? So it was highly appropriate that his summer funeral was a, was a Christmas funeral. So he arrived on a sleigh. I dressed as Father Christmas. We all, I gave everyone jingle bells and we sung carols. And that was the, the best way that we could honour him. You know, yes. week afterwards, another family found me up saying, are you, are you the vicar who dresses as Father Christmas? We'd like to use you too. So I thought, no, no, I don't want it to become a gimmick. But no, I mean, that's that's silly. But the thing is, is that, that that's, to me, that's what being authentic is. It's really honoring where people are and not trying to put them into your box and, and mold them according to your tradition. Yes. There's something else about funerals for me and I sort of developed a, a, a bit of a reputation as the person who would do the, the difficult funerals. So the yeah, funerals of yeah. people who were estranged from their families, you know, who'd yeah. been abusive yeah, or, yeah. All, all sorts of things and that's because i wasn't frightened of speaking to the truth yeah yeah of who the person was but doing it in a deeply loving way yeah um and to me that's part of being authentic as well is that we are not mm. holding back the truth of who other people are as well yeah absolutely yeah um mm. You know, yeah. learning to do, learning to do that lovingly is, is definitely a lifelong skill mm. <laughs> um because some people lend themselves to uh being spoken more lovingly about than others <laughs> shall we say that's that's true <laughs> so tell me about the heresy test it's written here and it's blinking neon at me yeah that's um that's perhaps be using um, or being not totally uh, authentic. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's, that's, that's me hamming it up. But it, it was that's basically, um, it was an orthodoxy. It was, a, it was a heresy test, but it was gentle. It wasn't like the Inquisition. Um, part of my, um, at the end of those three years and, and people knowing that I'd become 
sort of I've been talking about paganism and things you know they wanted to check out before giving me my license back that I was still Christian enough to have a Christian Anglican license which is fair enough totally fair enough um so um I I sat down with a um, theological seminary uh principal um and um he, he was he was head of the um a locally I forget what they're called now, a non-residential theological training course. Lovely chap, evangelical. And um, and I love things like this. I, I love being put on the spot. And it was really, you know, tell me about your your understanding of um, various doctrines, the atonement and, you know, other things, the incarnation. And we talked a bit about Druidry and, you know, really just checking out how, how Christian I was. And... Um, I, I said to him quite honestly that I don't know really how kind of orthodox I am, but pointed out that at least back then, a quarter of the bishops were more liberal than me. You know, <laughs> I mean, at least a handful of clergy don't even believe in God. I know. You know? I know. So I thought it would be odd if they, me, yeah. really passionate about God, though I might use the word goddess from time to time. Um, passionate about doctrine and, and incarnational theology and you know it'd be very odd if I wasn't Christian enough <laughs> to be <laughs> so you know now the interesting thing about that was that um, I don't think I passed the test because afterwards it was um, it was sort of uh, you know that the, the advice that went back to the bishop was that I ought to sort of start again and st start um, proving myself by going to church again and, and sort of working up from the bottom. Um, and at that stage, I thought, well, I don't even know whether I want to come back. So, now, a few, a few, few months later, that was when my second wife left, left me and I told my bishop in quite a harsh letter, I said, so this is now the consequence of all the lack of support we've had for the last few years, because that's mm. true. Um, my wife's now left me, thank you very much. Um, so I had my license given back after that, almost as a, oh, this might cheer you up. That's the way it looked like. <laughs> Sorry um, for laughing, but yes. That's the way it felt. Anyway, yeah. you know, so I, as I say, I I gave a, I took one look at it and I thought I don't want to put that straitjacket on. So I sent it back with a very polite letter saying, I, you know, I'd rather not, thank you. But um, yeah, so... So that was the heresy test. And, and it actually, interestingly, inspired a book because I wrote a book called Diary of a Heretic yeah. um, after that. And that was really a kind of a year in the life of some fucked up ex-priest who's trying to work out where the hell he is in faith. Yeah. Um. <laughs> also, who the hell isn't? I, I, you know, I... Is, they're, they're, sorry, I'm a slightly lost for words. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I read an I read an article in the Church Times, and it mm. was more or less in the same way. You know how sometimes when you see things that are speaking to your situation at the moment, and yeah. it was about someone who'd been turned down for ordained ministry the first time they went through the discernment process, but is now a priest. Yeah, and he was saying that it was like. God 
was calling him but so god was saying yes but the church was saying no and it was almost like the church was saying god's wrong mm. Mm. yeah <laughs> mm. and i think people can encounter this in all sorts of shapes and forms can't they mm. yeah absolutely um i just think i i just want to there's at least one um, lovely example of this, and I just want to say that the Church of England, to me, is still a beautiful organisation. And um, over the course, particularly the early part of my, you know, again, we're talking 2007 when I when I first left, so um, in a long time ago. But over the first few years, I was someone who offered myself still as a sort of um so a speaker in terms of I, I used to use magic as a way of putting things across you know magic entertainment yeah. so i would be offered to take retreats for people and and i've done a few few things that went to canterbury cathedral to do a big children's day and you know all sorts of wonderful things that i could do still not as a priest but as a as a lay person and uh, one of the things that i was invited to do and i forget the diocese but it was for the for the diocesan. Um, there were missioners, like evangelists, um, yeah. and and um, I was a little bit wary because I thought it's a bit close to where I come from in terms of the evangelical Christianity. It was held in a convent, and I thought that was interesting. Um, and the, the the I can't remember now. It, I think it was a female archdeacon who was just wonderful. She was the person who was. Um, uh, she was the sort of spokesperson for this group of evangelists. And I, as I spent my time with them, they, they just opened up in a way that was quite unexpected to me. And there was a lot of woundedness and, and a lot, inter interestingly, they, they didn't feel totally valued themselves by their diocese. And I guess I can understand why, because, you know, people have certain ideas about evangelists and, and maybe even I do, but, you know, maybe that was my prejudice. But the thing is, is they, they, they were people who wanted to offer what they felt God was calling to be, and, and they didn't feel valued by the church. And I found myself on one evening telling the story that I've told now, and I started to cry as I was telling it because I felt absolutely, you know, I felt their warmth. And the and the the dean or archdeacon or whatever she was, she she came up to me afterwards in in public at the end of what I'd said. And she was wearing like a long silk scarf. She said, I'm so sorry that I'm not wearing a stole. If, if I was, I'd give you this. But she gave me the scarf, put it around my neck and said, you'll always be a priest. And I'm feeling a bit like tearful now. Mm -hmm. That It was like, my God. And then one by one, they all came up and hugged me. And I thought, my God, you know, never underestimate where grace will come out and smack you in the face. I mean, Absolutely. beautiful, beautiful. And, um, and, and time and time again, over the course of uh, you know within the context of church of england i've had that so i i haven't given up on it i don't think i could ever be a member of it again i've got family members who are clergy and wonderful people and i've got uh, loads of friends who are still still there and, and still very much my friends um yeah i wish i could but i don't think i could but i know that it's somewhere that god does move and bless and you know, so I'm never I'm never going to be one of these people who's left the Church of England and hates it. Um, and some other independent clergy have, have 
sort of almost chastise me for that. Surely, if you've if you've left them, then you must, you know. No, why? Why should why should I? It just it was wrong for the time. Um, it, it was no, it was right for the time, but but it grew to the point where it wasn't something that was um, enabling me to be who I am. There's another amazing analogy which um, Philip Cargom, the you know the Druid chief, he 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 said to me at one point about what happened to me with the bishop. And he said, I'm not sure whether this is medically true, but he said in his understanding, when a woman is about to give birth, mm -hmm. um, the, the womb makes itself a hostile environment. So the baby has to, it, it's, it's the, I don't know what is secreted or whatever, but something makes the, the place that was nurturing that little baby for nine months um, toxic, almost toxic. So the baby has to come in, into the world and so what has become what has been your comforting home actually becomes the opposite of that and mm -hmm. you have to move on and I, even if that's not true I think that's just a, such a powerful analogy for for what happened to me and so I don't hate my technically my spiritual mother I, I love her you know and always will um it's still to me the it's the denomination that if anyone ever comes to me and says I'm feeling what might be a call to ministry, I still point them to the Church of England. Always do. So yeah. um it is possible so if you listen the place. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, you were gonna say Mark. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say if there are any um Anglican people or, or clergy listening, you know, I'm not an enemy because some have tried to claim that I am. You know, mm. and I'm not, mm. not at all. Do they do they feel that you are just by nature of you expressing your priesthood in a different way? I think some find that confusing. You know, how can I claim to still be a priest and still, you know, I'm, I mean, I am actually part of a, a sacramental community that, um, in fact, I'm just about, to, I'm trying to join one an American-based one, which really resonates with me because mm. of its um its take on doctrine and i have and i'm part of the progressive christian alliance so i am part of certain bodies uh, and therefore i am still a priest but i'm just not an anglican one um but i, I don't know I don't, i'm not sure what it is um again this is just a minority most are totally with me and i see them regularly and, and get on very well with my ex you know colleagues mm. But, but there is this feeling that, you know, um, you know, one family who who um, used me for one funeral and then had the interment in the churchyard, which was done by the vicar, the, the vicar actually said, you won't be wanting the Lord's Prayer then, will you? And they told me that. No, they assumed just because it was me who did it. Well, you know, I still do <laughs> use Christian prayers. And these families, you know, don't let your politics make them feel awkward no. no they are the most it's the it's the greatest privilege we have to, to carry someone through that moment in in their family's life absolutely you know so um absolutely yeah i always had the attitude when i was the, the vicar of the town that because most of the people who you're going to be given that privilege to to, to take their funeral are probably not churchgoers yeah. and a whole lot of those are probably not christian in in terms of you know that that's what how they connect 
so I I was I always felt it's my duty really to take to take that seriously and to mold whatever I'm doing to really speak for them whatever that meant mm -hmm. the last last funeral I ever did in the church that I was vicar of we I smothered the church the, the altar in in crystals and buddhas and because it was a woman who who um who's it was the woman ran the local new age shop and her husband had died and um and interestingly she I, I found out that she she was surprised that that I said to her look you, you can use the church because originally the previous place she'd lived she wasn't allowed to marry that person in the church because he'd been previously married so it was beautiful and traumatic and she she as I say we decorated the whole area in what was what was from her tradition and she wasn't non-christian she just had a, a broad view of what the divine is divine can speak mm -hmm. through crystals and icons and buddhas and whatever um but there's i suppose there's again part of the owning the authenticity is that i'm owning some of the anger that's still there as well yeah um i don't feel rage some anger but i do sometimes get cross and i still get cross when i hear people not being looked after yeah. and not being valued not being valued hmm. do you still feel comfortable to go into a, ch a church yeah and i cry when i do hmm. i go into cathedrals and and i it doesn't take me long before i get choked up hmm. um i love i love churches i love built i love the buildings I, I love catholic and anglican um there's a difference obviously because there's a there's a deep connection to the Anglican cathedrals that I go into uh, and I, yeah I do I, I, I get really choked up um, uh, I mentioned Catholic cathedrals then because I think there's something about the Catholic tradition that really knows how to do sacred spaces um, <laughs> you know um, but yeah I do and I um, I um, I will always love the Church of England yeah I suppose in a way there's still a lot of hurt there and that yeah. you know, that comes out in sometimes little snide remarks and sometimes jokes there is there is a lot of hurt there hmm. um, but I wouldn't change one bit of it because we are what our story has made us quite yeah I, I watched <laughs> something down last night actually um, been doing the David White, the poet, does these three Sundays like sort of webinar things. Mm. Um, and he's been so this month it's been the edge you carry with you, which is one of his poems. And uh, mm. and he said, "What if the way I was hurt was ultimately the gift that I will give to other people?" Mm. Mm. Lovely. Um, mm. Which is, I mean, you can hear that said in lots of sort of trite statements about, you know, what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know, that. But, yeah, but yeah. That's yeah. not really what it means. <laughs> it's not really what no. it means. It is no. ultimately all of our hurts and traumas and, and, and all of the joy and wonder as well are build us into this this shape of human that we are you know? yeah 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 absolutely um, and a wounding 
is something that we can re then allows us to relate to the wounding in other people. Yeah, yeah. And, mm. and that's the gift, that should be the gift of the priest. Yeah. Mm. I believe. <laughs> I do too, definitely. I also think everybody is a priest. Um, yes. So, you know, doesn't really matter whether people don't believe I am because everybody is and actually I used to say that trees can be priests because you know if a priest is a mediator between two worlds and anything that we find beauty in is a priest and um, mothers are priests to the child and dads are priests to the child and um, you know animals can be priests. Uh, Richard Raw always used to say that Venus his beautiful black Labrador was, was Jesus to him was, was yeah. his priest. You know. Absolutely. I'd rather see so. God more in my dog than in any other living being yeah. sometimes. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's something else about um, about, uh, and this is a whole other conversation, and I think we might need to have a whole other conversation yeah. Yeah. about the priest as ma magician, because there's yeah. other yeah. aspects of your your expression as well, which is yeah, yeah, fascinating. And I didn't know that about the Pentecostal evangelical that they that even um magic as entertainment is a form of sorcery <laughs> well it was just what i was picking up nobody mm. nobody told me to burn my um karate costumes but i did nobody told me to throw away my david bowie albums but horror of horrors i did because oh. you pick up over time you pick up over time that if you're going to be true to christ then you have to purge yourself of anything that isn't and there are certain things you soon learn are more um demonic or more potentially and certainly uh, even the word magic was, was was not a you know even though it's it's three magicians who came and found the infant jesus you know yeah. um, but <laughs> from the yeah mm, yes major yeah but um yeah so but um something just popped into my head then and then vanished there's magic for you yeah, I, I used to say um, when people ask me about being a priest and a magician, I'm a priest because everyone is a priest. I'm a priest because I want to enable everybody to find their own priestliness. And I'm a magician for the same reason, because everyone can do magic. Everyone is a magician. And um, the type of ma magic I do, which is symbolic, hopefully awakens that ability to create in other people's imaginations. And, and that is magic. Writing is magic, singing is magic, um, creating any form of art is, is magic. Um, but it just so happens that magic as illusion goes back as far in time as as magic, as ritual magic does, because they were very much hand in hand. You know, the ancient shamans often used to um, use um, sleight of hand magic in order to create illusion to awaken wonder and mystery in others. And it, and it still has that power. It's just, we, we kind of, we know what's happening now, but it's, but it still has that power. Yeah. Mm. That is another, another subject and one that would probably be worthy of another discussion. I think so. <laughs> Part two coming up. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so something I ask uh, all of my guests to do is mm. to share a poem or a blessing or a prayer mm. or yeah. 
do you have something for us? I wrote a little prayer this morning. Oh, wonderful. Just because, um, just in case I kind of um, dried up when you asked me this, I wrote this. Shall I, shall I share it now, Jude? Please, please. Yeah, God of unconditional love, known in various ways and by many names, enable us to glimpse the pure gold through the cracks and fissures of our broken lives. Help us to ever be open to your grace and to see the glittering magic within ourselves, within others, and within all things. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Fucked Up by Faith with me, Jude Mills. Our music is by David Goodall, and you can find the podcast on Spotify and all major podcast channels. If you would like to take part in the podcast or you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please do get in touch. You can do that via my website, judemills.com forward slash podcast. And I look forward to hearing from you. Go well.